Welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show. Once again, I'm joined by my co-host with the most, a man who was once sent off for a head-high shot in Belmore Car Park, G. I just touched the person's head. It was very faint, but apparently that's a send-off these days. I'm great this week, T. How Police are you? report says you were in the car park alone. You can get sent off for head-highing yourself these days. Okay. You know what? Every time you think the NRL can't give you any more, they just they find a different level. And Emperor Volandes was absolutely at his magical best this week as we cover off what happened. So the head high clamped down. And what I particularly liked about this this week was um, he get, at least he gave the clubs 24 hours notice before he changed his interpretation of the rules. And Ah, uh, hang on. He was questioned about it being five hours notice, but apparently he gave them notice on the 5th of May. So he gave them a full week to adjust their lifelong tackling techniques. I can I can change anything in a week. I'm not sure what these clubs are <laughs> up to doing. Long-time listeners of the show will know we call him Emperor Volandis, and he did it in, in true Roman times. He was wearing a toga. He went outside the, the front of Fox Studios, and he said, there shall be no more head-high tackles. 14 sin binnings and three send-offs. Now, can I say two of those send-offs were absolutely send-offs in any game? Okay, yep. But some of the sin binnings were very soft. Now, I actually agree with what they're doing in trying to clamp down and trying to protect the head of the players. I agree with the purpose. I agree with the purpose of why they're doing it for sure. It is really to try and I mean, it is absolutely players. critical to the long-term viability of the sport that they do clamp down on the on these head-high shots. But I, I, what other sport changes its rules so often mid-season? Is there another sport that does it? Tennis doesn't introduce new tennis balls that are a different size in the middle of a match, in the middle of the French Open. For the second week of the French Open, we're going to use those oversized tennis balls. No one does that. Oh, look, <laughs> look, I, I love his response. That's why I mentioned the 5th of May. He's like, no, it's wrong. We didn't tell them at the last second. We told them on the 5th of May. Like, Peter, that's like a week ago. And I love I love the media. James Hooper comes out and he goes, I, I, I'm supportive of this dictator. dictator dictatorship james hooper mate do you know what you are mate i just it's it's unbelievable just commentators fans and players there's a lot that have called called for an overreaction and basically emperor volantes doesn't give a shit he does not care you know what he is we've said it before no. he's a cross between caesar and the grandparents he just doesn't give a shit no he doesn't care he absolutely doesn't he could be my granddad <laughs> yeah don't don't listen to this bullshit yeah basically that's what he's like you know it's good i think that he he is his own person and he's not impacted by you know news limited makes a big deal about something and all of a sudden all the the previous NRL commissioners changed things, or the head of the NRL. And he's very forthright in saying he doesn't care. He's going to do what he thinks is best for the game. I think it's good, but I do think a bit more notice probably would have been warranted. But the purpose is correct, and hopefully the teams adjust, but it's going to take some time, mate. Like, I mean, they're so used to tackling in a particular way now that it's it's hard to just change it. I heard Ben Iken say they're not taught in the juniors to tackle around the legs anymore? They're not, because you've got to wrap up the ball now, and right? And soft landing, that's what they get taught. I think our listeners should stay tuned for a couple of weeks from now when uh, Peter Volandis changes it to a four-tackle rule. <laughs> and there'll be no longer <laughs> goal kicks after tries. Well, you can only one tackle leg at one a t- leg at a time or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> we got, what is it? We've got dominant, dominant tackle, one leg, 
one leg tackle. Psychology, they say there's a lot of this noise that goes on around people that make decisions. So they might have had a, you know, otherwise known as a shit week or an argument with family or other things on their mind. And sometimes subconsciously that play. I mean, we need to know what Emperor Valandis is going through the week prior to these. I mean, if he's decrees. hungry one week, is he just going to introduce pizzas at halftime? I mean, like. I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's just a loose cannon. We're coming up to the finals. We're going to play with a round ball. <laughs> I've just had Ramadan. We're going to have all matches moved to five, to six pm so we can eat before the game. And he took the he took the heat off because the week started off with the Kyle Flanagan stuff, right? So he got dropped. Then the dogs, um, you know, because they're such a professionally run club, uh, stuck him in front of the press without telling him he'd been dropped. <laughs> I just apparently Kyle wanted to front up, and there was all this stuff that we did ask him. So they did do all the right things. They did forget to check that he'd been dropped before they put him in front of. Them. <laughs> Club is this seriously? The question was, did you know? Did he know he was dropped? And he goes, oh, I don't know what communication he had with the coach, um, the new CEO. <laughs> you know, he seems like he's got his head screwed on. Check with the player that he knows he's been dropped before putting him out there. Can, can I just get even more angry with Trent Barrett now? Yes, go ahead. Like, I mean, look, I think it's emotional, and you could see that. You know, he he feels, I think, the weight of the world on his shoulders. It's very hard for someone that's twenty-two to publicly sort of be sacked in a way. And hooked. I mean, he deserved to be hooked. And there's heaps of people without his name that don't that don't get this level of attention. I agree with that, but I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. It's it's probably just his... He doesn't run the ball, G. He passes the ball and kicks. That is all he does. Yeah, but I, I think that that's that's the tactics that the team um, plays. No, with. I don't think he was running the ball at the Roosters either. I don't think that's Trent Barron. I think that's his game. Now... You, can, you might be able to blame Trent Barrett for picking him to the extent he had a say in signing him there. He signed him, saw him as the future, and then hooked him. And on top of that, Jake Averillo, who is a runner of the ball and always has been, just shuffles the pass along the back line too now. He doesn't run at all either. So it's tactical. That's Trent Barrett's tactics. Trent Barrett did say, you've been hanging outside Belmore in a long trench coat just watching Jake Averillo. I've been hanging out outside of Belmore with the long trench coat with my clippers hidden underneath the trench coat because Trent Barrett at the moment, his coaching performance, the only thing going for him is he has fantastic hair and that's got to go too. Okay, excellent. Let's move on to some <laughs> other news. So other news from the week before Emperor Volandis completely sucked the oxygen out of Magic Round. I mean, before we move on, I feel sorry for the fans that spent all that money. Apparently, it's meant to be an amazing weekend up there. So I'm sure they still had a great time partying, but then got, got to yep. watch... 14 sin biddings and three send-offs. I mean, just incredible. It is, but you know what? In some ways, it adds a little bit of drama to the game, to the games and a little bit of excitement, to be honest. Well, certainly so... needed it in some of the games we saw. Anyway, <laughs> oh, anyway. Oh, yeah, I know. It was, so the other two big pieces of news that I thought you'd want to comment on was um, Cam Smith to Channel 9. Now, he had, famously, <laughs> yes. he had famously had a feud with Channel 9. Rugby League has nothing if not a short-term memory. So one minute he's fighting over the Alex McKinnon affair... The next thing, he's signed up with the Cavalcade of Stars. G's cat has made an appearance on the pod, people. It's been a few weeks. She's in his lap. For those of you that don't know, the name of the cat is... Misty. She's a bit She's a bit upset at the moment. She's upset with you. She doesn't... She's been protecting. So Cam Smith yet joining Channel 9. What else have you got this week? That's it. You don't want to talk about Cam Smith? Cam isn't necessarily a, a hugely talkative guy. But I think being there with Billy Slater and Thurston and stuff probably will make him feel a little bit more comfortable. And I'll be interested to see what he adds. I mean, he was never going to go to Fox, right? Because, because they've got... 
they've got Cooper Cronk's there. (laughs) He was never going to be at the same station as Cooper Cronk and Yvonne Sampson, was he? No, he was not. For those of you that don't know that story, Google it. So so the other piece of news, Adam Reynolds to the Broncos for three years. Big signing, they were due. Yeah, big signing. I think think it's a good signing to have that veteran presence in the halves for that team. They're still quite young. Um, what I did find amusing about the thing was Wayne Bennett was helping Reynolds and advising him to go to the Broncos, who also happens to coach South at the moment. But there's nothing There's nothing like conflicts of interest in rugby league. There is no other sport <laughs> no. that does it. So could you imagine in the NFL, your star free agent, Dak, Dak Prescott. Remember Dak Prescott was off contract yeah. for the Cowboys? Imagine the coach... Garrett at the time coming out and going, I've told him to sign for Tampa Bay. I think he'll be good there. <laughs> and it's like when Cooper Cronk earlier this season, who, who had a go at Buzz Rothfield, for rightly pointing out he's on the payroll of two clubs. That's right. But that's okay, as long as they don't play each other. I mean, no one does conflicts of interest <laughs> like the rugby league. The guy that's running our sport is also running Racing New South Wales. <laughs> There's no, no one does conflicts of interest like rugby league. No other sport does it. No. Like the um, head of the ATP tour in tennis isn't also running the NBA basketball. He's recruiting Nick Kyrgios. And Pete Sampras, what else have you got this week? You never see, you know when you see the final of the Wimbledon? You don't look yep. up and you don't have a coach representing both players. You know, Boris Becker's so, so, not coaching Goran Ibanezovic and, and Pat Rafter, right? It's just at not, the same time. It's at the same time. You're just running from coach box to coach box. That's what Cooper Cronk's doing. Different hand signals. No one does um, conflicts of interest like like the rugby league. But the interesting thing for me on Adam Reynolds is what it means for our favourite CEO chairman combination, Mezzatesta and Mace. Oh yeah, oh, I know. Because they they got Craig yeah. Fitzgibbon in to get these marquee signings, and now they're kind of the halfback market's kind of shrinking, right? They're kind of left with Sean it Johnson is. and Matt Moylan, and and their history would suggest, and Cronulla's decision making would suggest they're going to give them a long term contract. Yeah, I'd be. They can't roll this back, can they? They're, both players are at the back end of their career. Even the Warriors said no to Sean Johnson. Yeah, I think Sean Johnson, too many serious injuries later. I mean, he just did his Achilles. He's come back from an Achilles tendon tear. Matt Moylan's hamstring just isn't there. He's never really been, you know, from when you hear the rumours, a humongously hard trainer. Um, and I know sometimes your body breaks down. That might be part of it, um, you know, mentally. But And Sean Johnson, I think, has just always been naturally talented and I wouldn't say he seems to be or trains really hard like some of these other players so are they the type of players you want to build your club around now as they're getting older they really should be setting the standard you you almost need to find a halfback that's a bit which would have been Reynolds like a, a Michael Ennis was for them at hooker he came in and demanded absolute dedication from everyone in the, in the team where are we going on a tangent here that's what yep. Burak Yilmaz has brought to Lille in the Ligue 1. Yeah. In, well, in he's France. old, right? Who would have... Well, he's 35 and, and, he's, and he's a prickly character and apparently he's a bit like in the Kobe mould. He's yelling at them all the time because for all the mistakes they make. And, and, that's, and, and sometimes that's what you need, right? You just, you just need someone to grab the team by the scruff of the neck. And Michael Ennis, um, same thing. He's a prickly character, but one thing you could never, ever say about him, that he never, ever didn't give his best. And he was always demanding that everyone around him was putting in everything they had. And no coincidence that as soon as he went to the Sharks, they went up a level and the Bulldogs dropped a little bit. Can I ask you a question? Are you giving your best at the moment? Um, I'm warming up at the moment. Are you? I demand that you give your best from now on. You're going to have to yell at me. <laughs> well, you know where you, you know what you should start with? What? Trent Barrett is my podcast coach. Removing the cat. Perhaps putting the cat oh, she's back. She's not moving. She might get vicious at the moment. So 
anything else for you this week? Well, no, that was it for me. What did you have? Oh, I've got a few. I've got um, John Morris offered his services for free to Melbourne and they politely declined. They've got enough assistant coaches. <laughs> I know, but... To do what? What was he going to do? Drive the bus? <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. What was he going to add to the Storm? Has he seen the way the Storm plays? Was he a plant by Mesotesta? Are we giving him too <laughs> much credit? I don't know. Half ahead and Mace got a bit of a caning about doing the 2019 season review halfway through 2020. But to be honest, I mean, the timing looks bad. But considering COVID, I think it probably shouldn't be as harsh on the Sharks. I agreed with the article, which is ironic because I don't like the way the newspapers cover the sport. But COVID didn't really start till January or March by the time the lockdown March, started. Much, yeah. yeah. So... The season finished in September. They finished eighth. How hard was the review? I don't know. What was what was there to review? We finished mid-table. I mean, how hard is this I'm, review? I'm trying to be more positive about Dino this week. The other thing was Ricky Stewart's comments about, are we playing netball now? Kicked up a stink amongst the netballers, right? Quite rightly so. Rightly so. You know, you know what? That comment bordered on misogyny. I've watched women play netball. It is fast. It is fast. Physical and it is competitive, man. It is a brutal sport, netball. But lastly, but you watched it through a black and white TV, didn't you? I don't know what netball games he was watching, but netball is actually a very physical sport. You know the other sport that's quite physical that you wouldn't expect? Water polo. Under the water, they are kicking the crap out of each other. This is what I mean. Netball, there's like sneaky hits and pushes and chops. There's all sorts of cheap shots. And Ricky Stewart's response was, any publicity is good publicity. So, hey, not really sorry. I mean, his comments after the game this week were funny too, where he says, then I'll recruit a different set of players if we want a different sport. (laughs) Yeah. Matt Dufty, still unsigned. He's small. He's small. Watching the Dragons play without Dufty, they do nothing. Correct. Um, and I find that quite ironic. You, you, you know, you know, you know why Dufty can't get a contract. It's the same reason Bevan French can't get a contract. Too small. Great players. Too small. I'm not saying it's right, but that's the reason they it's can't not. get the contract. But anyway, Clive Churchill, medal winner and the best player in the grand final last year, smaller than him. Uh, and the other thing was, it looks like Brad Arthur's wife is actually picking your team every week. Why do you say that? There was a whole article about <laughs> the players having to convince Brad. Jacob Arthur's mum yeah. that he was ready to play. So Brad took a step aside and his wife made the decision. Can I just say, Mrs. Arthur, you are doing a great job and you are, in fact, a better coach than Trent Barrett is. <laughs> she actually <laughs> probably would be. And Can we see how she'd go with Moses Imbai and Luke Brooks at half? Parra's doing quite well. Consensus, she's collaborative, she asked the players what they really thought. Ten-year-old kid, it's fair enough, she's checking with the mum and stuff like that. Did you see Brad Arthur's reaction in the coach's box? We'll talk about it in the para game, it was just great, it was just great. Peter Volandis got the corporate hat on and he referred to the commission changing the rules every couple of weeks as um, we need to be agile, which I hear at workplaces all the time. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, let's move on to the games in Magic Round. We had no Thursday night game this week. First up was the Tigers versus the Knights on Friday night. It was the early kickoff. I don't know what to make of the Tigers. I mean, they completely disillusioned me last week with the way they played um, against the Titans when they lost the game. and They only started trying when the game was over. So I said I wouldn't tip them again, and naturally they got up and won 36-18. Of course they did, yeah, yes. I mean, yes. Madge moved Adam Duayi to right centre, as we mentioned earlier, and Moses Mbai into the halves, and he received a lot of criticism for it, but it worked a treat with Duayi shoring up the attack and defence. He was good on both sides 
sides of the ball. The right edge of the Tigers, Mbai, Duehi, and Luciano and Norfoluma absolutely tearing the Knights' left-hand defense apart. Everyone raves about Bradman Best. Bradman Best is carrying about 20 kilos too much. For a start. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and as a result in defense, he can't move. Bradman Best, Heimel Hunt, Phoenix Crossland really struggling on the left edge. And, and it's a case of no Kalen Ponga, no Knights. The Tigers dominated from the beginning and were up 24-4 at halftime. The Knights did win the second half, 14-12, but the game was effectively over at halftime. Uh, the, the, you know, a couple of things that I wanted to say for the Tigers. Luke Brooks was heaps better as the sole playmaker, right? And Adam he was superb just as the right edge second ball player on that side. Tyson Frizzell was good for the Knights too. And and we also saw four sin binnings, right? We saw eight across the first two games and this one had four sin binnings as well. What did you think of this game, G? Similar to you in that I thought the move to, of Dwayhe to the centres sort of really worked and like you said, short up that right-hand side defence as well. Moses and Bayer looked a little bit better sort of floating around the field and just giving early ball. It was notable though at times, I know we spoke about Moses and Bayer losing his speed, but my God, he's lost a lot of pace. Like, a lot. He's just not the same player. And and Luke Brooks did stick to the left side of the field a little bit, right? Now, and I, I know they combined a little bit, but, you know... That move by Adam Dwayne to the right-hand side, really good move by Madge. Adam Dwayne is playing out of his skin at the moment. I don't know. I'd struggle to know where the Tigers would be without him. Moses sh- shuffling the ball along gave them some early ball. And it, it, it sort of made them be able to then go both sides of the field in attack and gave them a little bit more variety, like you said. And I thought Luke Brooks, once he scored that try and they settled into the game, I felt like he started to grow in confidence a little bit. You could The sole playmaker, though, right? He was calling all the shots. Can I give you my theory on that? I think Luke Brooks might actually be... He might be a bit like Mitch Moses, right? He, he needs a 5'8 that's not... Just a runner? Yes, yes, that he just needs a runner there. Whereas Adam Dwey, he came up through the ranks of in the halves at the Bunnies. He's more a playmaker. Yes, they would have had two players. It's not necessarily the playmaking, it's the play calling. Ah, uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, so I, think, I actually think Luke Brooks might be better off with a single runner there. He seems more of a team guy and plays role type of guy. Like, I don't... Yeah, it'd be good for him to make some tackles. <laughs> That's a different story altogether. He has a go. Well, he has a go in what way? Well, he runs out onto the field in New Jersey. So yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, you could do that. The great start to the Tigers really pushed them along. In a way, they turned up and they also had luck go their way as well. A couple of drop bombs. You know, the, the desperation play when James Tamo scored and two of the Knights were so desperate to get to the ball, they basically bang, you know hit each other and the ball popped up for Tamo to score. You know, the bomb where Dwayne tapped it back and then before you know it's 18-0. And the Knights weren't terrible. There was a few games like that where the teams came out of the blocks really fast and, and the game was effectively over in 20 minutes. Now, interestingly, we give Trent Barrett a lot. At what point does this be- start becoming Adam O'Brien's issue? There was a rumour that the they're going to start, they're going to do a mid-season review and some of those assistant coaches like Seabold and that might be in a bit of trouble. And I think Danny Baderis is on the coaching panel there as well. So, look, I know they've got a lot of injuries, but they're not going to make the eight. Not, not playing this way, not playing this way. No, not at all. The Knights still made a lot of breaks, but they had no one to finish them off. And you could see that's where they really missed Ponga. Like, Kurt Mann would bust the line, Bradman Best, but there was no one with enough pace or ability to always be in the right place. So they they created a lot of half chances and didn't convert. But effectively, the game was over. The Tigers got the ball bounced their way for three or four tries off bombs. Honestly, the Knights just didn't have enough to go with them. They made breaks and just there was just no one there to to finish them off and turn them into tries. but I thought Bradman Best was poor. In defence, In yes, defence. Definitely. He busted the line a few times, but in defence they were poor. And, oh, I mean, is it the injuries, T? Well, it is injuries. No Caelan Ponga there, no Mitch Pierce. I mean, they're two big outs, right? I mean, Tex Hoy, I mean, I mean, he's trying hard, but he's not 
Kalen Ponga. You know, they've got a lot of tries that are still young kids. And it's just, they're not up to it at the moment. They're, they're missing any real creativity in that touch of class that Ponga adds. You, you see the difference with him in and out, and it's a totally different team. And with the injuries on top of that, they have no shot without Ponga. So Tigers, yeah, you know, good win, I good guess. Win. And we'll see if, you know, the Moses and Bai Duehi combo works next week as well. Yeah, I don't think he'll, he'll pick the same team. Joey Leilua looked. I don't know. I know was Newcastle's defence wasn't the best, but you know there were some good signs as he's a little bit more engaged the last couple of weeks. Well, it's I don't think it's a coincidence that he's played consistently and more solidly in in both their wins in the last few weeks. Yeah, I think you're right. For when when he's got his head screwed on right, there's less there for the opposition to exploit. We'll move on to the next game on the Friday, and I got a lot of um really um double on double entendre text messages and innuendo text messages from you during this game something about a turbocharged Saab yes I think that's fantastic what you'd yes. like to do with it and how you'd like to dip oh. your bald head in oil and engine engine oil engine oil, engine oil. yep so yep. manly versus the Broncos was the 8 p.m channel 9 game um manly this was this was a really tight affair um and Kevy was glowing in his endorsement of the Broncos afterwards as they proceeded to lose the game 50-6. to six. Manly dominated from the beginning to end with an eight tries to one win. That's their fifth win out of their last six games. Tommy Turbo and Jason Saab on the right edge, really dangerous. Hey, and they're a weapon. Oh, they're a weapon. They were fantastic. And Daly Cherry Evans played really, really well. He was dominant. He- I have my thoughts on DCE. Looking at him play now, he's come alive. He was he was sleepwalking the first couple of games, honestly. Well, they were playing better teams and they didn't have Tommy Turbo, right? So, so he was yeah. like, there's nothing I can do here. You know, he was... Was kind of um, saving himself for the bigger games, I think. Fair enough. So, Kevy Walters again labelled his team soft after the game. Oh, mate, come on. Oh, that's not fair. They lost 50 to 6. Yeah, they had two guys in the sin bin and they were in the game. They for were already down before the sin binnings happening. Yeah, there was four more sin binnings. The Broncos at one point were down to 11 for almost 10 minutes and conceded 18 points With when Tyson Gamble and Jordan Rickey came back on. The score was already... 44-6. He also, you know, made Jake Turpin the um, captain and I think hooked him too, but anyway. The, the weight of possession was in Manly. So Manly had so much momentum this game. It was the, the, the Broncos missed 42 tackles and they had to make 127 more tackles than Manly. So, so just they were, they were never in the game because they never had the ball. Most of the time the ball was just with Manly attacking their line. I mean, they defended reasonably well for a while. Eventually, you know, they couldn't hold out. There was just too much skill and, and variety. Manly is attacking with a lot of variety. Mate, and can I just say, Tommy Turbo, mate, as well as he's playing, may not be the best player in the comp. I just thought, the more I watch them now, they're, they're adding variety in touches. Yeah, I think I think the way they're playing, they're going to make the eight. They will be in the top six the way they're going if they 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 don't have like serious injuries. To... Well, they could they could be in the top six, but I think the five are pulling away. Absolutely, they'll be the best of the rest, Manly. Because what, what I picked up in this game is you're starting to see Josh Schuster allowed to ball play a little Josh bit Josh Schuster was good. Been, he was good. He's like a better version of Andrew Fafita. He's certainly a thinner version than Andrew Fafita. I don't know whether you saw Andrew Fafita. He, he uses um, the ball a fair bit, but he's been allowed to use the ball. Traditionally, Des Hasler doesn't allow his forwards to pass the ball in, until you have that set player. Where you're... I don't think he's got the choice now. Uh, the game the, With the six against, he, Des doesn't have the choice. The game, the, the attacks become very unstructured. T, Amadi, Tapao running and putting players through the gap and putting and backing up and throwing passes, that is not... Des football. Jake Trevojevic runs to the line and pass behind the lead runner is... A, a Des has the play, but he's got Schuster playing, ball playing a little bit on the fringe, 
and looking for offloads. Gee, I say this every week when you rave about the teams playing the Broncos. You can't play the Broncos every week. I know, but... You say that, but I mean, we, we, we go through this every week. There's a difference. To, I'm just watching the intricacies of Manly's attack. Same thing against the Cowboys, same thing the week before. Like the Titans, they were superb against the Broncos. You were raving about them for the first 20 minutes. I mean, you can't play the Broncos every week. You can't play the Bulldogs every week. And it might well be a game plan suited to attack the Broncos in particular. And I think that will play itself out in the next few weeks. I don't think it's that. I just think the intensity goes up a level with the top five teams. Oh, oh yeah, without a doubt. You don't have the same space and the casualness to try these things. You're not up by 24 points. There's an intensity to the game that you don't get when you're playing the Broncos or the Bulldogs. And let me let me tell you the other thing while I'm on this rant. Adam Reynolds isn't going to make a 44-point difference. So they'd better get some more players. Manly are looking... At the end of the day, you can beat who is put in front of you. Correct. And they're flogging, they're flogging the crap teams and they're belting them by 30, 40 points. Cherry Evans is everywhere. Foran's got more space to operate. Trebojevic is floating in all areas of the fi- around all areas of the field. He's on the left. He's on the right. He's he's playing through the middle. He had his hand on the ball a little bit more and floating across field this game. You know, and getting Saab hitting the ball on the move is is really good coaching because he's he's doesn't have the greatest acceleration, but once he hits top speed, like he's pretty much almost the fastest guy in the comp. Jason Saab versus Micah Sivo is going to be interesting this weekend. It will be contrasting wingers. Well, I mean, it could it could go it could go one of two ways, right? If if Micah Sivo puts a couple of shots on him, he could go into his shell. Jason Saab. He could. Oh, I have noticed with Jason Saab though, he's a lot more physical in the last few weeks. But he's also very quick, and and Micah Sivo can sometimes be too close. He he can be too compressed, so that. They might be able to go around him this weekend. You know, at the end of the day, I think the Broncos hung in for a little while and eventually the, the dam broke and Manly just torched them in the se- you know in the second half. I mean, great to see, again, Jason Saar playing with Joy, Tom Trebojevic. They're enjoying their football and they're playing good attacking football, Manly, at the moment. Emperor Volandis came out after this game and he said he's banning car names as surnames. Is he? So we can't have a turbocharged Saab. That's pretty much what this is. A turbocharged Saab. Do they even sell Saabs anymore? No. Hey, you're... you're- you're a Seinfeld fan. He used to have a Saab. He, he did used to have a Saab. No, they don't sell Saabs yeah. anymore. Wasn't Saab's main thing? It was. It was. They were making plane engines. The trucks. Yeah, I don't know. Something like that. No, Saab's still around. Saab serves the global market of governments, authorities, and corporations with products, services, and solutions. Are oh, they the autonomous ships and boats? Oh, okay. So we're, we're sponsored by Saab, just so in case anybody asks. Yeah, it's, so, it's, um, it's, no, Saab's not paying but, us a cent. It's fighter planes. That's but, right. It's fighter yeah, jets. But Man- Manly. Impressive in attack. I know they played the Broncos, but 50 to 6, they blew them away. Yeah, great result. All right, well, let's move on to Super Saturday. These were actually not too bad games, so I'm not going to criticize Super Saturday. Um, and Channel 9 will be grateful they got the Roosters Cowboys game in on Saturday night. We'll kick off with the early kickoff, which was, um, of course, the Bulldogs versus the Raiders. Where were you watching this game, just out of curiosity, G? I was watching it at the Aussie Rules with the Swans versus Collingwood. And it was about minus 55 degrees Yes, at the SCG. Collingwood were terrible. Almost as bad as the Bulldogs, actually. No, no. Well, the Bulldogs should have won this game. So the, so the Raiders got up 8-0 at halftime through a try to Co- Corey Harawira Naira. Of course, would have been good if he'd scored for the team he came from. And George Williams to s- set up the try by beating, beating Wakeham really badly. He was terrible in defence with that attempt to tackle, but he's a young kid, I get it. Just before that, though, Luke Thompson fell off another tackle. And, and so that's that's basically the story of 
the whole first half. It wasn't a great half at all. Not at all. Yeah, no, it was terrible. As per their last five or six games, though, the Raiders dropped off in the second half. The Bulldogs scored two tries. The second was a peach of a pass from Wakeham to put Nick Meaney over against 12 men. The, the one before that was Nick Kotrick bombing a try, but somehow getting out of dummy half and because that ball needed to go left. You had numbers left and he hogged it and he was just lucky he got over and got the try. You were against... 12-man Raiders, you were up 12-8, and you should have won the game. I mean, at that point, right? So so Jack White and got um, sinbinned at that point with you up 12 after the, just before the second try. So yep. um, Ricky later said he coaches his teams to make tackles like Jack White and did. I think if you want to know the problems with Ricky's coaching, that statement in, its, in and of itself, that cannonball deserved to go to the sinbin. And then Josh Papali got sent off by Chris Butler. And I thought that was a send-off. Really? Okay. Yeah, I thought 100% that was a send-off. So whether his, whether his arm was involved in the tackle tackle or not, I actually agree with the interpretation. They were so clear in the way they described it. It was direct contact to the head, send-off. It's like the, the way the rugby union does it. Okay. And at this point, they're down to 11. You're up 12-8, Raiders down to 11. And then you had complete brain explosion from your halves for the next 10 minutes. You gave up a seven-tackle set. You gave up mm. a six-to-go and you gave away a penalty, and your halves couldn't get you over the line. 12-8, with 20 minutes to go, Raiders down to 11. You should have won. It's just because they're young, I get it. It's a game you really, really should have won, and I agreed with the send-off and the sin-bidding. What did you think? Look, Jay Cavarillo isn't a half anyway. Brandon Wakeham's, you know, he's played a few games off the bench and played, you know, four or five. He's a, he's a young kid. They're, they're, it's it's hard. You just got to be patient. I think they they should have won the game, but I don't think they were really the better side. They were pretty ordinary. I didn't think the Raiders were that good. I thought you guys should have won the game. Instead, let, let me tell you, instead instead of giving away that seven tackle set, you grubber it in. They get caught and they have a dropout. The whole complexion of that last twenty minutes changes. It's not a technical skill set, so to speak. It's been so rare for the Bulldogs players to be in winning positions, right? They've almost lost the ability to, to win. Yeah, I think that's that. That's a part of it. Oh, there we go. There's the cat making its appearance again. The cat's the cat's been the MVP of this pod so far. She has. I just felt like, you know, Canberra were kind of always in the game because they're a better side in general, but they weren't very good. And I think they still have problems, to be honest. Moving Averillo to halfback, I was interested to see how that played out. I, I like Wakeham. Wakeham's one of those players, T, where you see where he's got the vision and he's skillful and he can create a bit of space, but athletically, he's not a first grader. He's very slow. He's very good on that left edge with the timing of the short ball. He scored a try like that against us last. So, so his actual ball playing is quite good. His ball playing and his vision's good in timing, but athletically, he's just, it's almost like he's in between a reserve grader and a first grader. Well, I mean, but, but defensively, he's not there. The agility um, and power that he lacks doesn't help. Gee, gee you got to remember that no one tackles around the legs anymore. So it's, it's all I know. wrapping the ball up. So you got this 80, 85 kilo kid on the left edge trying to bring someone down that's 110 kilos. And unless he's really good defensively... They struggle. Yeah, he's just going to get steamrolled. I know um, Brent Sherwin used to struggle with that a lot. And eventually he just started tackling people around the leg. Didn't didn't Brent Sherwin remind you quite a bit of Nathan Cleary? Brian Toe? Yeah, of course. No, totally different player, actually. You saw elements of sort of decent player, like getting Hopawati to make that break was solely because Hopawati hit the ball at his top pace. He didn't get it standing still. Six Ks an hour. Yeah, six Ks an hour. He's like the old car that you push down the street and eventually picks up speed. With the choke button. With the choke button. 
But he hit it already at speed, so at least it gave him a chance to bust the line, and he did. What does the choke button do? I know we used to use it a lot as kids because the car would always break down. Brad Dietz, I think look, we look a lot better with Brad Dietz at dummy half. He's only played four or five first-grade games, and I think he deserves a longer run to kind of see what he's got. He's sharper with his passing. He's a little bit more sprightly at a dummy half than Katoa. Um, and Katoa's defense, along with Luke Thompson and stuff, is terrible. And it's the same, same. Luke Thompson in the middle, Katoa, they're, they're, they're just... The defense is dreadful. But they're just, like you say, lacking that experience in winning games now. They just needed to ice the game. They just, you know what I mean? Like, you're up, they're 11. They went for killer plays when all they needed to do was just play sensible footy at that point. It's the inexperience, right? And I thought the the play of the game was, was Caleb Aiken's tackle on Corey Waddell when Nick Meany kicked the ball and he hit the crossbar. Corey D- Waddell was going to score. Correct. And Caleb Aiken's tackle right around the legs and hit him sideways and he literally fell half a metre short. They score that. They're up 18-8 and I think the game's over. Was this on the big screen at the SCG? No, it wasn't. It was on... Um, I was, what, might have been watching it on my phone. In between Collingwood's 35-minute forays into the forward line. In between Did you bring the cat one. to the SCG? No, I didn't. It would have attacked the Swans, so not a good idea. I've told you before, if that cat could talk, this would be the G and Misty show. This would be the Misty it, and T show. Be. The send-off, it's hard to adjust because you've seen this play so many times in the last few weeks. and you know. I think it was a send-off. It was direct contact to the head, and I think they should be sending that off. Yeah, the, the Raiders, Raiders weren't that good, though. No, that was, they're struggling. And honestly, watching Josh Hodgson play as well, he just doesn't look happy at all. Although he wasn't too bad. I didn't think he was too bad. It's like he doesn't want to be there, if that makes sense. He's still playing hard. You've heard it here first. I reckon Josh Hodgson will end up at the Broncos. Yeah, he doesn't look like he really wants to play. He's not enjoying his football. You can see it. The only other thing I picked up really was um, Dallin Wateni Zelezniak when Josh Hodgson did the wing tackle on Luke Thompson. Chicken wing. He caught it the wicked wing. I'm pretty sure on the coverage, which I found hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure I caught it the wicked wing. And I was like, did I just hear that? Are you sure he didn't call it the two-piece feed? I don't know what they were eating at halftime, but whatever it was. Well, I hope, hopefully it's what Andrew meal. Fafita was eating in the next game, which was clearly the bucket. The dogs just don't have it. Trent Barrett's, oh, look, okay, I did some research this week. I know you're going to be surprised. Let me just go through Trent Barrett's coaching. Well, I'm glad you've done some research because I'm sick of carrying this pod. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) He coached Manly from 2016 to 2018, right? In 2016... You can't read your own handwriting, can you? I can't. Well, I think this is where I'm struggling. Manly, they won eight games and lost 16. They scored 18 points just over 18 points a game, and letting 23.5 points a game. In 2017, they made the semis. The semis. They went 14-10. and 10. Their four and against in 2016, sorry, was minus 109. In 2017, it was only plus 40. The defense was the same, pretty much 23 points a game they let in, but this time their attack was a little bit better. They scored 21, um, 23 points per game, sorry, and they let in 21. So yeah. his teams are always pretty much playing even defense and attack. And in 2018, Manly went, had seven wins and 17 losses, and their defense let in almost 26 points a game. They scored 21 points a game. And this year with the Bulldogs, they're scoring 11 points a game, and they're letting in 30, and they're falling against his minus 190. I gave you those figures last week. It just seems like if he's got better players, his record's better simply because he's got better players. His coaching stinks. His overall record is 36% winning percentage, which is... Honestly, that's disgraceful. What I'm, what I take from those statistics you gave 
is he is clearly a very poor defensive coach. Dreadful. And that is the thing that determines your success in this league, how many points you concede, not how many you score. I mean, you guys have gone from Dean Pay, who was an excellent defensive coach and just had nothing in terms of set plays and attack, yeah. to the complete opposite. Dean Pay showed that with the right structures and the right coaching, you can coach defense. Yeah, you can. And what I mean is, like, you look at his Manly team, right? He had... You know, an in-prime Cherry Evans. He had an in-prime, which sounds sad, but Dylan Walker. And, you know, a young, flashy, fast Tom Trebojevic who played games. He had a younger Marty Tapao. He had George Tafua, who was young. He had a, a younger Curtis Sirinan. He had Nate Miles in the team. He had Jake Trebojevic, Aquila Uate. So they had a very strong attacking team. So all he did basically was win games because of the talent. But... As a coach, his record is horrendous. 36% winning percentage after 90 games is Let me bad. ask you a question. You were supportive of Trent Barrett pre him getting appointed. I think I fell for some of the stuff that I wanted to hear. I was always sceptical of his record. And I said, was his record problems at Manly? He said to you that he thought you looked like Todd Payton and that you had beautiful eyes. Is that what you're talking about? That's right. But what I mean is like, I, th- you know, you used to read about a lot of issues at Manly and that held him back and blah, blah, blah. So I thought, well, is that 37% reflective of his actual coaching ability? Or were there a lot of problems at Manly that people spoke about, you know, with Jackson Hastings and the team fighting with each other in 2018, etc. But it looks like that's just who he is. He can't coach, and if he's got superior talent, he wins, but he's not doing anything for the talent. It's the talent that's winning out. And he's had players. But who do you bring in? Okay, so who do you bring in? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a lot of copy and paste coaches around, and I think you need to find someone that's a little bit different. The game needs a little bit more creative thinkers now. I think some of these coaches are being left behind, and I think that's part of the disparity that you're starting to see in the league as well. I'd give Sam Walker's dad a run. You know what? If you were going to punt on a coach, and this might backfire, I would sign Ben and uh, um, Ben Walker and... is it Was it Shane Walker? I thought it was, Shane. it was Shane. Walker, right? Yeah, I thought it yeah. was Shane. So, you know what? If you're going to go for something different, give them a run. Why Why bring well, in Well, I mean, Barrett? the fact that they weren't able to get a go shows you everything that's wrong with the sport. Exactly, because they're not liked by people Correct. in certain places. All right, that's enough on the dogs. If we move on yep. to the next game on Super Saturday, it's the Sharks versus Souths. Uh, the Bunnies got up 32-22. Um, Souths jumped out of the blocks, targeting the Sharks' right edge, especially Chad Townsend, who has been playing absolutely terrible since he cha- signed for the Cowboys. They jumped out to a 20-0 lead before William Kennedy got one back just before halftime to make it 20-6 to at halftime. The Sharks got back into it in the second half by targeting the South's left edge. And typical of Souths, they do concede points. Um, the Sharks even got it back to 20-16. to Largely off the back of Matt Moylan creativity. I thought Matt Moylan in attack played really, really well. South then kicked away with two converted tries and a consolation try to the Sharks in the last minute. Made it 22-32 in the end. For me, the difference in this game was the spine of Reynolds, Walker, Cook and Benji. What a pass to Alex Johnson. Right to left for that, yeah, for that, that try. Yeah, Just if you look at the spines of the two teams, it's where it was won and lost. I, I always felt South had another gear, even when... The Sharks were mounting their comeback. I mean, Souths blew them away early, and that's partly because of town. They targeted Townsend and Dugan, whose defence was terrible. Both of them. The last eight weeks, teams have been targeting Chad Townsend. He's been he's not he's been woeful in defence this year. You, you think they that him you know being wanting to stay and probably with the whole John Morris situation and Dugan sort of going this is his last year's off contract. He's headed to rugby. They just they're not they don't seem like their heads really in the game a hundred percent. You know, like maybe ninety percent, but that ten percent makes a difference. They've thrown this season away, haven't they? I mean, yeah, I think so. Um, I thought Jack Williams at times looked good for the Sharks, 
And again, oh, I wish William Kennedy would really... In, he's still young and he's still fairly inexperienced in first grade. I wish he'd really assert himself because whenever he's involved, the Sharks look a lot better. He's another one that's too small for some of these coaches. Yeah, I know, but he gives Moylan and even Townsend, like some of their ball players, at least someone to sort of try and put in space. I'm not saying it's right, but I know I know a lot of first grade coaches have a size requirement on fullback. They want tall, big, strong lads for the for the bombs for the for the for the kicks. Yeah, that they get down it's, there. It's it's that. It's that risk management head headspace, right? Rather than trying to win the game, they're trying to minimise the risk. And the irony is that's the reason under Anthony Griffin why Matt Dufty couldn't get in the team because he wasn't considered tall enough. I find that ironic because they're match winners and you watch the best teams and they've got those players in there. But they're taller. Matt Ryan Papanosen's taller. Tom Trebojevic is tall. Clint Gutherson's taller. Latrell Mitchell's tall. Like they're yeah, I know. They're powerful. They're not the Roger Tuivasa Sheks. Like they're quite small. They're almost jockey like. Dufty. They are jockey like, absolutely. In comparison, yeah. yeah. So, I thought, like you say, Cody Walker again. You know, he he just sort of picks his moments and picks his spots at fullback. He's actually quite effective there, right? I don't think he's been playing that well. Effective, not overall, yes. but he's picking his yes. spots. He is much better as a in the halves. He is. He's more. They involved. are going to get. Quantum better once Latrell's back. I thought they did the job. I thought the Sharks did a good job to come back and sort of make it close and got really unlucky, actually, to um, not steal a win. The Jaden Suicin bin, what did you think of that, by the way? What did you think? I don't know about some of these things. It's like, it's not really a head-high shot. No, I it's agree. It's kind of bouncing up. I thought the Lachlan Burr one was the worst one. The Lachlan Burr one was ridiculous. Yeah, some of the sin binnings. Chad Townsend's one in this game wasn't great either. No. Like, I just think some of the sin binnings, they need to refine that. But I thought most of the send-offs were send-offs, except for the last one in the Titans game. I thought that one was a bit rough. It was just an arm grab. The Titans one was rough. The other two were... um, Send-offs. I thought they were send-offs. Yes. Half the sin binnings, maybe not half, but but certainly 30 or 40% of them were, were harsh. Um, and I thought, and like you say, they effectively came out and the game was pretty much over. You had Benji's great pass and a great finish by Johnson. All of a sudden, you're up by that much and the Sharks... Yeah, and you put the cue in the rack a little bit, right? I think they did. And then the Sharks are like, well, what do you play for? And then they just started probably playing a little bit more open footy and scored a couple of tries and came back. And I think when they got back to 2016, I thought, shit, you know, South has kind of dropped in intensity Wobbly. a little bit. They held them off and then they went up another gear. And I think what helped them was that Chad Townsend crusher or whatever the hell that thing was. Like how that was a penalty. I know Brayton Astor was going crazy on the commentary as well, but yeah, there's a great there's a great Twitter Twitter feed if you don't <laughs> if you're on Twitter. It's called Shit Braith says. He was very valid in that. That was a bullshit call. He basically tackled him and he's you know, his neck touched his chest. There's no pressure and No, was... no, I agree, I agree. It was just And then it gave South a field possession, like you said, to just step it up a bit and then they put them away. But um but I thought the Sharks, you know, did okay defensively at times, except at the start. And to top Totola gave that great ball to Cody Walker, a handoff. Here's my favourite Braith and Asta commentary from the weekend. Yep. Braith with Dan Ganane. This is in this game. So this is why I'm quoting it. Braith yep. goes, South score due to a horrible call by the referee. One minute later, Dan Ganane says, the refs are only calling what the new interpretation is. Braith in response. Yeah, it's not the refs' fault, Dan. It's not their fault. After saying South score to do a horrible call by the referee. One minute later. Yeah, it's not the ref's fault, Dan. It's not their fault. I must have missed that part, but it was a, it was a terrible call. The other one, good good field position here for the Sharks as Cronulla work it out from their own half. Oh, God, I give up. 
It's, um, I don't pay attention anymore. I just like the colour commentary. Tommy Turbo, he called him at one point. Well, that, that's if his turbo was spluttering, but I'll tell you what, it's been bloody refined. It's on been. fire at the moment. It's been in the workshop. That's what was happening. He got injured on the course, and they've, they've taken his engine yeah. back. And bloody... He's, he must be due for a service. He is. He must be due for a service. Soon. Hopefully after the season, but um, Tommy's history is not a good one, but... There was one part I really enjoyed, which was um, when Cody Walker scored his tries on Fox. They they had that view where you you know the cameras behind the play, and you could see him size up the numbers and then position himself in the right space and give the ball to Gagai to put him away. And that was really cool to see. That was re- a really good camera angle for that try. And Will Chambers, yeah, is that a rat's tail or whatever it is? Yeah, it's a weird thing yeah. he's got going on there, right? I don't know quite what it is. Okay. Because it kind of looks like a patch. Will Chambers is 30-odd years old now. Like, you get to an age where you can't... Like, get a decent haircut, dude. It's like, it's one thing seeing a mullet on a 21-year-old. It's not, another thing seeing a mullet on a 52-year-old guy. It's <laughs> just getting petrol. Well, actually, yeah. So I looked at that and I thought, if that's what it is, that's probably why he remained unsigned. I think Will Chambers is showing why he was unsigned. Yeah, it's a terrible hairstyle. Speaking of the mullets, I was actually at the AFL. There was a guy sitting behind us, looked fairly well to do, and he must have had a he must have had the massive wallets because he had like a mullet hairstyle. He's like sixty. You're at the age and you got that much money, you just don't give a shit. My favorite comment at the AFL when I went with you was when you said, "I want to do a survey on how many people here have hyphenated surnames." <laughs> Lewis Roberts Thompson. Yeah, cool. Um, so, best. yeah. Um, but Will Chambers, mate, I'll tell you what, you got to do something about that. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's not even a rat's tail and it's not a patch. It's in between. What is that? Uh, you know what? I just, I knew, I knew it after 10 rounds. I knew if I did this pod long enough, you'd eventually come up with some gold. All right, let's move on to the last game of Super Saturday, and that was the Roosters versus Cowboys. The, the Roosters started brilliantly, scoring four tries in the first 26 minutes um, with only goalkeeping, goalkeeping, goalkicking, keeping the Cowboys in the game. They were up 18-0 um, when they could have been up 24-0. They, they did that by targeting the Cowboys' right edge. Clifford, Lemieux, Elu, and Felt were terrible down that uh, Cowboys' right edge. But then the Cowboys then scored three tries in the last 10 minutes of the first half and early in the second half after Tupanua was sin-binned, targeting the right edge of the Roosters with Val Holmes, Scott Drinkwater, and Reese Robson leading the way to make it 18-16. Angus Crichton then scored off an incredible Teddy break down that left edge, and so I thought Teddy was fantastic. But one thing I want to say is Lockie Burr was then um, sin-binned after high contact with Teddy. Teddy dropped into that tackle, and three out of the last four weeks, someone has been binned for shots on Teddy. Each time Teddy was ducking to get under the tackle, it's his technique. Pereira did it in week seven, Nia Corey in week nine, and now Lachlan Burr. So for anyone suggesting that Teddy is ducking into these tackles on purpose to get head high contact, that is not what's happening. But his technique is to try and duck under the tackles, lowering his center of gravity. And even if you're in a lower tackling position, the risk of hitting him head high is higher. So in rugby, they they ask for mitigating circumstances. That would be a mitigating circumstances. I think Trent Robinson came out tonight and said that 
Lachlan Burst shouldn't have been binned. It was a tough call, and I agree with that 100%. It was a ter- it was a terrible call. Like he, like you say, he ducked into it, basically just ran into his chest, and his arm was there, and he hit his arm. Can't disappear. Yeah, that's right. So t- Tupo scored on 12-man Cowboys to make it 30-16 to 16 in the end. Um, Teddy was absolutely superb. Just when everyone's talking about Tommy Turbo, he, did two, he, he ran for 221 metres, had 10 tackle busts, one line break, three line break assists, two offloads, uh, but can I also say Angus Crichton has also been superb for the Roosters this year. Um, the Roosters again showing their resiliency. They, they remind me of Geelong in the AFL a little bit, the Roosters, right? They never quite bottom out. This game, I think, like you said, they got off to a hot start, and I think the goal-kicking goal ended up keeping in the game, but it allowed the score to at least be, hey, if we score a try or two, we're back in the game, rather than being 24-0 or whatever it would have been, you know? 24-0, there's a different complexion as opposed to 18-0, right? You're 18, you, they scored a couple of tries, and they're like, shit, we're back in this. Well, we, we you score one try, and you feel win. like you're back in it, right? Yeah, so I agree with you totally there. The, the call on Tedesco or Lachlan Burr was dreadful. I loved your comment about the mitigating circumstances, T, by the way. I think that really needs to come into it because otherwise you're just sending people to the bin if someone ducks down. You know, the person's smaller. Like, what do you do when you've got a, a big versus a small? There needs to be the criteria. Was it direct contact? So did it bounce off the shoulder or anything like that? If it's direct yeah. counter contact and there's no mitigating circumstances, it's a send-off. Make the rule really clear. That's what they've done in rugby. They've had something like a 28% drop in concussions since that rule came in. That's the way it's got to be brought in is some of that, you know, um, the context around the tackle as well. Not just strictly you hit the head, you're out of here. But that might lessen as we go. They might loosen it up and start to referee it with mitigating circumstances. I think Lachlan Lamb had a good game. It was good to see him back for the Roosters. I know they have a lot of injuries, but in a way... Lachlan Lamb was meant to be their heart, their 5'8", and they've just replaced Kiri now for Sam Walker. And Brett Morris is a massive loss, but Ikevalu, I think if he plays more, I think he'll start to get sharper. I think he was carrying a little bit of weight, like you said, you know, not all of them were playing in the lower grades and stuff like that all the time. And like you, I thought Crichton was everywhere. I've always kind of watched him and thought... Oh, but he's been playing really good the whole season, don't you reckon? Yeah, absolutely. He's really stepped up this year, like he's... He's running hard all the time. He's running... Here's the other thing people miss. He's running hard lines as a decoy all the time as well. To fool the defense thinking you're going to get it, you have to like really sort of run it as if you were getting the ball. And he's doing that a lot. He's, he's offloading. He, he's really stepped up his involvement, I find. And Isaac Liu, I think since um, they had Lindsay Collins injured and they've had a couple of injuries, I think Isaac Liu's kind of stepped up his involvement. I noticed him a fair bit more this week. You know, they were just too slick, the Roosters. Whenever that ball went out, there's just a slickness in their execution in the back line. Just took advantage of the, the space the Cowboys left. Val Holmes t- sort of took over the game. Val Holmes has been great the last six, seven yeah. weeks, right? He's been fantastic since the move to fullback. He needed a couple of games under his belt, but just, just since he's dropped the weight and he's gotten back used to rugby league and playing back at fullback, he's been fantastic. I mean, maybe they were shell shock, but again, I found once they started to get behind, the Cowboys played a bit of footy. They scored some really good tries against the Roosters' defence. And then 18-16, and you think, shit, you know what? I thought the Cowboys were going to beat them, actually, because the game turned around that much. But then, you know, like you say, Teddy then just busted through. He should have been tackled by three or four people. Oh, it was tough. It was strong. It was it was just him saying, I'm not going to lose. I think you're right. It was just he wanted it and busted through the tackles and, and that changed the game and then that was it. They, got, they were gone. 
But they they made a fight of it, the Cowboys. I was, you know, Cowboys earlier in the year. Better. Yeah, they would have got hammered. It does make you wonder how good this team would have been with Luke Keary, though. You know what would have been interesting? A Luke Keary and a Sam Walker partnership. Well, would Sam Walker have got a gig if Luke Keary was there? Probably not. Probably not. They would have probably held him over for another season. I think you're right, but you kind of watch them and they're, they're very different. Luke Keary's more of a runner and that more direct player. And Sam Walker adds a little bit of that sparkle and the... I, I agree with that, but I also think I'm not sure Sam Walker in his game in its current form uh, holds up to finals. You could be right. He got hit hard a couple of times, poor Sam. Well, he's 78 kilos. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I know. You saw the 18-year-old 78 kilos a couple of times in that game. And Val Holmes just threw him off, and he got smashed in one tackle, but he got he right back keeps up. bouncing up. Keeps bouncing up. All right, well, let's move on to the Sunday games. Um, I really enjoyed having three games on a Sunday. Um, first off, it was the Warriors versus the Eels, and, and the eight Eels came out breathing fire, right? In particular, Mitch Moses. Um, they scored four tries in the first 20 minutes to lead 24-0. Josh Curran then scored off a Harris-Tavita kick to make it 24-6 at halftime. Ryan Madison then scored off a kick and Jake Arthur try assist to make it 28-6. At this point, the game's over, but the Warriors then dominated the next 30 minutes, and this is the problem with the Eels. They do play down to their opponents, and that's why the Manly game has me worried this week. They, the Warriors scored two converted tries to make a 28-18, and then really threatened the Eels before Jake Arthur scored on debut. Thought he had a very assured performance on debut, and Brad Arthur celebrated like a dad rather than a coach, which was fantastic to see. If you oh, haven't... It's, it's, it's good to see, and you know what? Good on him. Really, really good. Um, just to give you some idea of how, in the end, how much this game flipped around, in the end, the Warriors made more line breaks, 7 versus 5, missed less tackles, 31 versus 37, had more kick return meters, 264, 67 versus 174, and won the ruck. The Eels' play of the ball was slower, but couldn't complete their sets. They only completed 25 out of 41 versus the Eels' 39 out of 46, and in the end, that was the difference in the game. It's funny, right? Like, you're going through the stats and... If you just read the stats and don't know the score, it looks like the Warriors either could have won the game or just lost it. But watching the game, they were in a different league. Like Para, like you said, I think they put the queue in the rack. Once they got up to that 28-6 lead, the, the Warriors were the better team from then on until Jake Arthur scored right at the end. Yeah. But but having said that, the Warriors, I think, did ride their luck a couple of times. You I had agree with that. But Blake Ferguson's try, that was very close. Ryan Madison's Three tries try, that they, we it, dropped the ball or it was disallowed on video ref or whatever. But it did worry me a little bit the Eels in that second half, they do have a tendency to drop off and play down to their opponents. That they At 28-18, the Eels look shaky. Yeah, they did. Because I know we've talked about it, and it's, this is my thought on them, is I think they can be brilliant, but they're, it's that emotional side. They're, they kind of switch off if they're too far ahead. There's a little bit of arrogance in them that way, an emotional arrogance around the football. It's almost like they know, yeah, we can switch it on whenever we feel like it. But that's easy to do, especially in this comp, even worse than last year. And it's easier to do it this year. But when you come into big teams, you can't always just flick the switch all the time. And I think they've got to be careful about that. Like They've got to play some of these teams and just, you know what, do what Melbourne did. Beat them by 50. Absolutely smash them and they don't do that they don't do that like you said they get out to a 20-30 point lead and they, they stop they put the queue in the rack whereas you know Penrith they could have done that they just they absolutely just pedal to the middle the storm they generally don't but in general they, they, they're like 80 minute performers what I did like about the Eels is they came out on fire I loved Mitchell Moses being aggressive running the ball. And he was direct. He straightened the attack quite a bit yep and it made a massive difference massive difference because 
the team, because then later when he stopped running, the Warriors were still waiting for him to run. They had to play his run and his step. So it gave him room to move and pass the ball. And he was zinging the ball all over the place, left, right, long, short. It's almost like watching him play. He was like a... Where does he rank in the halfbacks in the comp? Nathan Cleary's the clear number one. I was watching Mitchell Moses play and I thought, do you know what? He's almost a bit more explosive Cleary in some parts of that game. Let's go through the halfbacks that are in the comp, right? So Luke Brooks, he's better than that. Mitch Pearce, when fit, I think he's better than Mitch Pearce. I think he's better than Mitch Pearce, yes. Daly Cherry Evans, I think probably DCE's better. Uh... And DCE's playing well at the moment as well. I think is more consistent. That is sort of back to his best. He's probably a little bit more consistent when he's at his best. Yes. Bro- Brody Croft, he's better than. Yep. Kyle Flanagan, he's better no. than. Uh, George uh, Williams, he's better than. Yep. Chad Townsend, um, yes. the two kilogram dirty potatoes I bought from <laughs> Coles are better than. Adam Reynolds. That might be a wash because they're different players. Yes, Adam Reynolds. Okay, Roosters, Sam Walker. And Luke Keery either. Take yes. your pick. I don't think he's better than Luke Keery. He, he plays somewhat similar to Luke Keery at times, but Luke Keery is more direct and more decisive and more consistent. Skill-wise, I think Mitchell Moses is better than Luke Keery. Okay, Jake Clifford. He's yep. better than. Yep. Chanel Harris Tavita or Cody Nicarima, yes. depending on which I think is better than them. Jerome Hughes. Do you know what? I don't know. I think I think Jerome Hughes has come a long way. Yeah. It's almost like now I think about it, well, yeah, you know what? They play differently, but Jerome Hughes' impact on the game now every week is massive. Ben Hunt, he's better than. Yep. Jamal Fogarty. Yeah, he is. Yes, yes, of course he is. The, and the Jamal Cleary's Fogarty asks one way, so, steps so, the other. So, so what are we saying? Nathan Cleary, DCE. Adam Reynolds, Luke Keery, and Mitch Moses, Jerome Hughes. That's your top six halfbacks in the comp? Pretty much. The, the thing is, you look at him as a talent or an athletic ability, you could probably say Mitchell Moses is the most talented out of the lot. Except for Manly. They're the top six teams in the comp. What does it say to you, though? How important's the position? It is very important, but I also think some of it's coaching. Like, Jerome Hughes probably wouldn't have even played much first grade at another club. Sure, but Jerome Hughes had players around him that had gave him space to be able to develop into the player that he is. I think it's a bit of both. It's a combination of both, but I think it's important that you need to have... You need to have a half now that threatens the line and can pass long and short, and he's very well-rounded yep. in general. They've got to be able to kick. They've got to be able to run... That you need to give the they need to give the defense something to think about all the time, and I think that's what you look at those six, and that's what you see. How many did you tip this week? I got seven. I got seven, except for the bloody tigers. Tigers did me in too. All right, honestly. And to be honest, T again, very very disappointing with the Warriors. Why do they start playing football? This is a pattern. As soon as they're I getting agree. flogged, then all of a sudden they start playing football. It's like, how about you start playing football from the start so you're not behind 20 to nil? Well, you see, you see, if that happens like that, there is something wrong in the preparation. That is coaching. Jacob Arthur make his debut as 18-year-old kid. You know who he reminds me of already? Who? He reminds me very much of Adam Dwayne. Does he? He's tall. Yeah. He's a bit gangly. Yeah. And he's... Not ultra fast or anything. No, he's not. He's more of a game organizer. He was very assured, though. I think Adam Dwayne's got a bit yeah. more pace, though, doesn't he? A little bit, but they both know how to read the game pretty well. Like they can play. And you know who they both are. You know who they both are. They're both modern day Greg Alexander's. Not nearly as good. You reckon? But tall. Not as athletic. Not as athletic, but can play multiple positions. They don't have his magic, but it's that type. Remember, even even back in the day, Brandy was a different type of halfback. 
you know what Brady was back then for me? He was a five eight and a half back in one. But he played wing, he played fullback, he played yeah. half back. For example, he encompassed the skill of Lamb and Kenny, but then he had the organizational ability of a Peter Sterling oh, and some player. of those guys as well. The best combo of both. Yeah, one of my favourite players growing up, Brady. He's a great commentator too, love he him. Is, but he yeah. is fantastic. So let's let's move on to the Storm versus the Dragons, the second to last game in Magic Round. And of course, this game was marred by Mitchell Moses playing well and para bombing a few tries. And it was. so the Storm got up 44 18. Action packed first half. I thought the Dragons started better until Josh Maguire got sinbin for the shot on Justin Olam. I thought that was a 50 50 sinbinning as well. And, jo- and Josh Maguire's reputation didn't help. I thought that was a very unfair sinbinning, that one. It was. Fun, tough one. And then, of course, they went up the other end um, and Corey Norman tried one of his amazing dropouts. Didn't go 10 metres and the Storm scored through Josh Adokar down the left edge. In the lead up to that try, Tyrell Fuimayano hit Ryan Pappenhuysen really high, um, ruling Ryan Pappenhuysen out for the rest of the game. He was actually knocked out cold for two minutes. He hit him hard. He got him. And Fuimayano got sent off and so he should have. It was a dog shot. I don't think it was late. I think he just hit him flush. Very, very late. Really? Yes. I thought it was very late. Very late and very high. But I've watched the game, don't forget. Yeah, okay, and I didn't. But um, <laughs> Which AFL game were you at for this one? Where were you? I was in Adelaide for the Port Adelaide. I was in Adelaide. So I was watching Port Adelaide and the, the um, Darwin Bulldogs and um, Port Headland Eels. Remember? Yeah. In real time, it didn't look like he was he was committed to the tackle, but he hit him right around the head. Like he didn't. I don't think he was committed. I think it was a send off in any era. I mean, we, I mean, we can disagree, right? I do think it was a send off though. He like he hit him flush, and Ryan Pappenhuysen didn't really duck or you know was falling down or anything. Like he clocked him. I thought it was right a dog shot. Face. I thought it was a terrible, terrible shot. It completely ruined the Dragons' right edge. Melbourne then scored again through Kenny Bromwich, who had a great game, down the Dragons' right edge before Matt Dufty set up Ravalawa for two tries around a try to Storm 18th man. Um, Dean, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Dean Iaramua at halftime. Dean Aramia. Aramia. Yeah. I was close. Yeah. I thought the Dragons were actually the better side with 12, playing expansive footy, running the Storm around and tiring their forwards. But halftime probably came at the wrong time for the Dragons. The Dragons did try in the second half and the Storm stopped trying to go around them and went through them. They started passing the ball inside a little bit and straightening up their attack. Mm. Josh Adokar ended up with a hat-trick. Nico Hines, Jerome Hughes and Kenny Bromwich were great for the Storm. Ravalawa got a hat-trick and, and Dufty Tilly got hurt was also excellent for the Dragons. The, the send-off kind of ruined this game, right? From, from that moment onwards, the Storm were the only team that was ever going to win it once they got their attack in order in the second half. I, I thought the Dragons didn't play that badly. Well, the first half, when they were down to 12, I thought they were the better team. They were pretty good, and I think with Dufty sort of, play, you know, being a lot more influential, I thought there were signs that they could pull off a win. Like, the try to um, Cody Ramsey that was disallowed, that was great footy it by was Dufty great Ramsey footy. and Corey Norman. But at the end of the day, Melbourne just have too much class in their team like the, the tries at the start of the game Pappenheisen's ball before he got knocked out to Adokar was magic and Adokar just hit that at pace and they had no chance of Dragons or stopping that then Bromwich scored but instead of trying to go around them in the second half they straightened up their attack they, they yeah and um, I think but the Dragons sort of you know didn't allow them to get ahead by too far and I think some of the goal kicking didn't help but like you said I thought Dufty was influential he had a great impact for them whilst he was on there, I think I, th- I think he's out. I think he's out indefinitely, though. Didn't look like a, a good injury. Like it looked like it might be something quite serious, or 
he might be out for a few weeks. I know Greg Alexander on the commentary talked about an AC joint. It could be a lot worse than that. So he's going to be at least out for at least three to four weeks. What do you say? I mean, some of Melbourne's tries in the second half, though, like, you know, the huge try where all the players were literally reading and reacting to mm. each other's movements was brilliant footy. Like, you know, the centre's coming in two off his centre position inside looking for the ball because the, the second rowers made a cut inside. They're just reacting to each other when they're making a break. And then the kick to Adokar, I think, was quite telling that Saints ran out of path and Melbourne were just running over the top of them where, you know, they spread the Dragons apart and then Hughes backed up and did that kick across field and there literally were five or six um, Melbourne Storm plays and no one from the Dragons around there at all, you know, and Adokar picked it up. I liked Adokar's try where he kind of did the arse move, the Charles Barkley move, where he kind of, <laughs> you know, he kind of used his arse to lock it. It was a basketball move. It was a basketball move. He was posting them up. And As someone who's an expert on asses, I'm glad you noticed that. I used to use that in the post all the time in basketball. They didn't call me Charles Barkley for nothing, the round mound of rebound. They didn't call you Charles Barkley at all? No, I just couldn't <laughs> jump as high. And Nico Hines. Oh, he was fantastic. Mate, That's they're the types of players the Bulldogs should be looking at. There's another player the Broncos should go after. You saw a lot of his skill, his changes of pace, his ball playing. Not outright speed, but he uses change of pace well, and the threat of his ball playing makes the defender hang off him a little bit. Mate, he could play the role of Cam Munster at the Broncos. Easy. Adam Easy. Reynolds could be the number seven, and he could be the Cam Munster type role. Not as good, but you know what I mean. He's not as explosive attacking the footy. He's powerful when he's running, but he runs at space all the time and he can throw inside-outside balls and he's got good vision. I really thought he had a great game. And here's the other thing with the Storm, right? Riley Jacks, unwanted, comes back. Riley Jacks comes back in the team. Nico Hines is on the fringe of the first-grade squad. They both come in and... They don't miss a beat. They're still kicking everybody's ass. And that's their fringe and backup players, you know, not their starters. Craig Bellamy's unique. Wayne Bennett, unique. Like, there's a lot of these coaches. That you, there's a reason why they're once-in-generation type coaches, right? Tim Agreed. Sheens was I another one. You. you know, like... He was, yeah. And and the, and the rest the rest of them are run-of-the-mill coaches, right? And I think as a fan, you, you're hoping you you hit the jackpot, really, and you get a Bellamy or you get a Brian Smith or you get a, a Wayne Bennett or you get a... Trent Barrett. You know, Tim Sheens or a Trent Barrett, yeah, so... Or a Dean Pay. And the one thing I found interesting is the last try where Josh Kerr went through, and mind you, that was a great ball. It's like a 20-metre one-hand pass to Cody Ramsey on the fly. And Christian Welsh. Oh, chased him down the whole way. You chased him down the whole way. Yeah. At the end of the game. They're down to 12. That's the difference. That's the storm. And the prop is literally trying to chase down the fast winger after they've already won the game, the game's over, and he nearly got him. He wasn't going to get him, but he nearly got him. And I think that's the difference between. Now, that was quite telling for me, too. But the storm, too good, and Addo Carr. Man, nine tries in two games. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. He oh may God. win the I think I think he's gonna win the try scoring. Oh yeah, by the way, just to let you know, I think this week we need to um work on the goal kicking because I think we're next up for Melbourne. We may be next up. It's like whoever's around, it's like, hey, yeah. do you want to take a shot? I know, they're gonna they get it's it's like a penalty shootout in football. Eventually they're gonna go through everybody. Here's Christian Welsh coming up for the conversion. Yeah, Craig Bellamy's gonna run down and take a shot next. But yeah, too you know, too good, but the dragons were you know, hung in for a little bit and showed a few flashes against them. Okay, let's move on to the last game of Magic Round, the Titans versus the Panthers. The Panthers got this one 48-12. Both teams started slowly before Nathan Cleary beat Tanner Boyd 1-1 on -one to score and make it 6-0. Moses Leota then got binned for a high tackle on Jamal Fogarty. 
but the Panthers then kicked into gear with with only 12 men. Nathan Cleary then scoring on the left edge to make it 12-0. James Fisher-Harris then barged over through the middle to make it 18-0 with only 12 men. Now, the interesting thing, for the 10 minutes, the Panthers were reduced down to 10 men, uh, to 12 men. The Titans only had the ball for nine tackles in the 10 minutes. Nine tackles in that 10 minutes. Now, how, well, how does that happen? They scored tries. The, they know how to manage these games. This is what you didn't have at the end of your game against um, the Raiders. So Moses Leota then came back on the field with the Titans on the attack. And a kick from the Titans saw Dylan Edwards go 80 metres, go through the hands before Moses Leota then scores to make it 24-0 after 28 minutes. With three minutes to go in the first half, Herman S.A.S.A. collared Brian Toho off the kick return and got sent off. I thought at most it should have been a sin-binning. I thought the sent-off was harsh. I think it was a sin-binning T, and I think this is one of those tackles where because Brian Toho's running it back really And he's short, and he just stuck an arm out, yeah? He stuck an arm out. There was no, like thrust with the arm to hit him hard or anything like that and it looked worse than it was totally but that was a simbin but not a send-off and it made their job impossible charlie stain scored a minute and a half later to make it 30 nil at half time um the game fizzled out in the second half with the panthers putting the cue in the rack nathan cleary completed his hat trick right on full time to make it 48 to 12 it's his fourth career hat trick during this game he had three tries two try assists 157 run meters five tackle busts Four line breaks, two line break assists, 19 tackles, 214 kick meters, and 28 points. Filling the stat sheet, as they call it. Mate, that's like a, if that was basketball, it would be like a quadruple double. Amazing performance. That game, that was like Andrew Johns-like. I'll give you my points. Like I actually wrote down that it was like he was just toying with him. He'd just run to the line. Okay, you know what? I'll throw a short ball here. Just someone that's almost in total control of the game. Oh, you know what? The winger's going to come in. I'll just loft one over his head. He wasn't going through his reads. He was setting up his players and just watching what the defense was doing and then just going, okay, I'll do the opposite. And you're just watching this. It was like he was in slow motion and just picking whatever he He's wanted He's only to 23. Do. Yeah, I know. I, I was watching and just thinking, shit, this guy's like basically doing what he wants. You know, it was on my notes. Like, I know the Titans' defense is shit. <laughs> That's an understatement. Well, maybe we would be one of the top six halfbacks if we played against the Titans. Probably not a bad idea. Uh, the only person that's likely to give us a run is Jimmy Dimmick, and he coaches the Titans, <laughs> so it's not going to work. <laughs> Can you tackle? No. Can you throw a pass left to right? Yes. Okay, you're in. <laughs> Just seeing him, like, you watch a defender move, and it's like basically picking whatever option the defense is leaving for him. Honestly, it's actually kind of incredible to watch at the moment, I have to say. The Panthers fan in my house is very excited about their prospects this year. Uh, she is very, very confident on the Panthers getting up this year. So um, a shout out to her. Do you have anything else to add for this game? Because I've got a few points here. What have you got to say? You weren't at an AFL game for this one? No, I wasn't. I was at Geelong versus the Tasmanian Hawks. I know the Titans need a centre, and they signed Eason Masters, whose defence is possibly worse than the centres that they have at the moment. I know, I know. We've got a defensive problem in the centres. I know what'll <laughs> right. solve it. Eason Masters. <laughs> Eason Masters. Uh, Jim, I don't think this is going to solve the problem. The pink milk Matt Utah, Brian Toe. I know he got his try disallowed, but how good was that try? There's like six defenders there, and he's just basically stepping inside and under. No, he's fearless, five. Brian Toe. He's unbelievable. What a, I, he, I love watching him. Yeah, he's, he's completely awesome. fearless. He's like, I can beat all of this. He's like six players yeah, there. 
I know that six Titans defenders is usually like having just a centre and a winger, but you know, nevertheless, the numbers were there. <laughs> it's the equivalent of two other players in every yeah, other it team. Is. Yeah, oh, mate, their defence just gets worse. I've stopped counting. They've conceded like two hundred points in five games. The Titans just soft, like the Crichton. You know, try where he set up for um, Moses Leota, I think it was. Shit, I can't remember now. But it's everything, G. It's everything. It's attitude. It's contact. It's it's lateral movement. The whole defense is a problem. The whole defense. It's a massive problem. Like, Crichton just basically ran as a hit-up. He didn't run hard or at full speed. And he just went through Tino and Peachy. Went straight through the defense. Like, the defense was horrible. Tyrone Peachy... His defense, he's got to he's got to sort oh, himself yeah. out. His defense in the middle, you can afford to carry maybe Fogarty, but when you're carrying Fogarty, that Peachy, Fafita, the Titans can't afford to have that many high. And Kelly, they can't afford to have seven, eight bad defenders in their team. So I did like when Edwards scooped that ball up and then ran away seventy meters. Anthony Don was chasing him, and that was literally in slow motion. That was, they were both slow motion. Yeah. The other thing, were... can I make another? I've got two two points <laughs> to make. Dylan Edwards. Have you seen the size of his chest relative to the rest of his body? Dylan, perhaps you need to do weights in other areas, other body parts. He should be watching Luke Thompson play. Like he chess he chess players, but he doesn't tackle them. And the player slips off his That's chest right. and keeps on running. My favorite stat of the weekend is Nathan Cleary has scored more points this season than the whole Bulldogs team. That doesn't surprise me because he practically did that in this game alone. Well, the Bulldogs have scored 110 points this year, and Nathan Cleary scored 112. Can I get odds on Nathan Cleary outscoring the Bulldogs this season? You probably could. He's going to get close. You know, watching Edwards, I think that that might be a little bit of the Panthers' Achilles heel against Melbourne. He's The other team's defence can maybe at least get a read on or block, you know, Luai or Cleary. They need something to come from somewhere else, and I don't know if they quite have that. Burton might be a bit of an X factor there. Last year was Api Coruscant. Burton might give them a different look than Naden. Naden was a tall athlete that could, you know, make a bust and a break. Whereas Burton at least gives them a far quicker ball play than Tyrone May as well. So they do have a bit of a different look this year, the Panthers. But the Titans, honestly, disappointing. They just couldn't keep up. They are un- they're unfit. They're way too heavy. The Panthers just toyed with them. They they would make a break and the Titans couldn't get back in time before they would go for the next play. They were just struggling to keep up. I think um, the kick-out try at the end where they threw the ball around and they were just passing it around was an amazing try. And it actually got called back. It was for, that to put them up 48-0. That got called back. But just the play leading up to it and what, what impressed me the most about that is watching Cleary. He's running to the side. He's putting someone in a gap. Then he's backing up. Then he's getting tackled. Then he's throwing the ball behind his back to a support. Then he's getting up and then joining and linking up Well, he touched the ball three times. I think what makes the Panthers what they are partly is Nathan Cleary. And it's not just because he's playing well. He's their, their captain and he directs the team, right? He's constantly aggressive and looking for opportunities. He doesn't just sit back and just go, okay, we're running a set play. We're running a set play, running a set play. He's, like you say, he's touching the ball two or three times in a set. He's looking for an offload. He's following Jerome Luai. Jerome Luai stepping inside and then Cleary's coming inside, waiting for Luai to pass the ball back inside to him, like you said. They're linking up all the time in the middle. Then he's following, he's offloading to someone else. He doesn't die with the ball. He's got this constant attacking mentality going. And the whole team's like that. He's leading the team to play like that. And that's why I think they're just, they're irresistible, the Panthers, really. And I think he's a brilliant match for their athletic talent and the ability they've got in the park. But the one thing to watch out for, I don't think anybody can beat Penrith at full strength other than Melbourne. You can see their Achilles heel is the speed. But I think Melbourne, if they had Nico Hines, 
and not Pappenhuysen. I wonder if that's the one player that Penrith is their their weakness in a way. Well, maybe. You know, the try that Titans scored at the end, but that was sheer speed. They got around them and then the speed came through the middle and no one Penrith could keep up with them. So, But it's almost impossible to piece their, their defensive line, if that makes sense. But that extra bit of pace can put them away because they're strangely t-, t I don't know what you think they're they're fast and athletic as a team they don't have many outright speedsters the Panthers well I mean Stephen Crichton and Charlie Staines are quite quick Charlie Staines is quite quick yes but in terms of like and their defense they've considered 72 points this season their defense is sensational but once you get past them you need the pace to take advantage of it but there's only a couple of teams that can yeah it'll be interesting to see how it goes so let's move on to that concludes the round 10 review let's move on to our round 11 preview so first up, we're back to a normal schedule. Thursday night, we've got the blockbuster between the Cowboys and the Knights. The Cowboys are $1.55 favourites. The Knights are $2.45 outsiders and have a four-point start. I think the way they're playing, I think the Cowboys are going to get this. This is up in North Queensland. I think the Cowboys will get them. I think I'm going to pick the Cowboys. I, I The Knights have been pretty disappointing, to be honest. They've got too many injuries, and even if Ponga's back, I'm like you, I think they're lacking a little bit in the backs, and the Cowboys have been playing a lot better, and they're looking they're looking okay. In they're looking spurts. okay, they're looking yeah. Looking like I think, a half-decent team, right? If it's up in Queensland, I'm, I'm tipping Cowboys for sure, and if they bring what they brought against the Roosters, can you see the Knights matching them? No, I, that's why I tip the Cowboys. Yeah, cool. Move <laughs> on to the Friday game. Early, hey, it's late. Early, yeah, it is late. Early kickoff on Friday is the Warriors versus the Tigers. Warriors are a dollar fifty favorites. Tigers are two dollars sixty, and the Tigers have five and a half point start. I just don't know what to make of these teams. I don't know where your head's at. I haven't decided who I'm going to pick. It's a, it's a pick 'em, and it's a stay away game for me. You could easily convince me the Warriors are going to win, and you could easily convince me the Tigers are going to win. I have no idea who's going to win this game. Like you, I. I don't know what Warriors are going to show up. I don't know if you're going to get the, we're down by 20, let's start playing football Warriors. And then they could probably rack up, they could easily rack up 20-something points in an instant against this Tigers team. I mean, these to both these teams are so inconsistent from week to week. And even within the game, they're inconsistent. Oh, yeah. Like they can have a really terrible half and then come out and then blow a team away in the set. They're really, really inconsistent. I mean, look, I might pick the Tigers because I want to see this Moses and Duehi sort of centre half pairing. I think it kind of shored them up defensively because they had a massive, they had problems on that fringe there. And Moses and Bayern defence was terrible. And I don't have faith that the Warriors are going to throw anything at the Tigers at least for a while. So until they get behind. Until 2023? Yeah, or 2023. So. I'm going to tip the Tigers, but honestly, I with any conviction, like zero conviction. Another game that's hard to pick is going to be the Cogra Derby or the South Coast Derby. It's the Sharks versus the Dragons. Um, this will be at Cogra Jubilee. The Sharks are $2. The Dragons are $1.80, just favourites, and the Sharks have a one and a half point start. Yeah, this is another tough one to pick. The Dragons will be missing players, including Dufty, and the Sharks were good I guess, or, or better, is certainly in the second half against the Souths. Oh, this is a hard game to pick too because I think, are you going to get the Sharks that are kind of half sort of not interested in the season or are you going to get the Sharks that played good footy for you know half an hour against the Rabbitohs or 40 minutes against the Rabbitohs? And the Dragons, I'd imagine Cody, Ram- Cody Ramsey will probably move to fullback and they'll bring Max Fiungi onto the wing with Ravalawa. I think Ravalawa's, you know, the Dragons missed him. 
He did get a hat trick last week. He made a difference to their their attack on that side of the field. I'm probably going to go to the drag for the Dragons only because I think they kind of have something to play for this season. I don't know if the Sharks do. Um, but if I just went purely on talent, and if the Sharks were playing, I suppose at their peak, I would pick the Sharks. But I don't feel like they're going to play that way, and I, I think they might go through the motions. And the Dragons will probably have enough to beat them. All right. Just remember, I am beating G in the tipping comp, so take his tips with a grain of salt. Oh, great. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, and if we move on to a Super Saturday, Titans are up first. They've got the buy. The Titans are a dollar twenty. The buy is four dollars fifty, and the buy has twelve and a half points start. If the Titans don't win this game, I think their top eight chances are. If that, if I don't know how the Dogs are going to score enough points in this game to stay with the Titans. I don't think we're, we can win this game at all. I, I Like you said, I think the Titans' defense is... I mean, I don't know. Is it even a defense? I think you'll score points, but I think the most you score is 20 points, 24 points. I think the Titans against the Dogs' defense could rack up 45, 40, 50 points. I think um, with Trent Barrett coaching both both the defenses in this game, you know, just to <laughs> play a conflict of interest, he's actually the defense coach for the Dogs and the Titans. We might score 16 or 20 against the Titans because the defense is so bad, but how are the Bulldogs going to stop the Titans from scoring 30 or 40? And we've seen throughout this year that when the Titans play against a poor defense, they don't switch off. They, can, they rack up 30, 40 points like, pretty easily, actually, in yeah. some of these games. Like, who's going to tackle Fafita or chase Brimson down? Like, it's just not going to happen. So I think the Titans will win this game, and quite comfortably, actually. Yeah, I think I don't think the Dogs have got enough points. In I don't think the Dogs have got enough points to... You know how we've seen the Titans be run down? They don't have enough points to close the gap. So the Titans by probably 20. All right. The next, middle game in Super Saturday is the Roosters versus Broncos. The Roosters are $1.15 favourites. The Broncos are $5.50 outsiders and have 17.5 points start. I think the Roosters will win this. I think Sam Walker is going to be really motivated to do well. All the all the players that brought the Broncos let go in junior systems, like Cam Smiths, those types of players, they always have massive games against the Broncos. And the Roosters' defense is really, really good. So I, I can see them racking up a big win here against the Broncos. Look, watching the Broncos last week, and I know I'll probably say, hey, the Roosters are going to win the comp after they beat the Broncos this week, but... The the Broncos. Oh, you will, you will, you'll come up with something like that. The the razzle dazzle football that the Roosters played this week against the Broncos. Look, hey, one thing I did like was seeing Herbie Farmworth in the clear in a little bit of open space last week. It was good to see him. He's got some talent, the Love Bug, but doesn't get to show it much. I like the Love Bug. I think he's a decent player. He's a good player, good skillful player. I just don't think defensively they can hold out the Roosters. Like the Roosters were clinical at times against the Cowboys, and the Broncos. Defence won't hold them out for the whole game, and I think the Roosters will make it really hard for them to score points because they're defensively so good. So I think the Broncos will hang around for a bit, T. I, but ultimately, they, they might score a couple of tries, but the Roosters will probably beat them by 12 to 16, I reckon. I don't think, I don't think they'll thrash them. Yeah, I don't. Okay. All right, fair enough. The last game on Super Saturday is the Raiders versus the Storm. The Raiders are $5.50 outside as the Storm are $1.15. The Raiders will be missing Jack White and... Josh Papali and Josh Hodgson, and the Raiders have 12 and a half points start. I think the Storm, uh, Ryan Pappenheisen's obviously out for the Storm. I think the Storm will do this on their ear. Yeah, I, I think the Raiders are really struggling. I, I think even pretty much, T, if we think about it, they've uh, they've had injuries and a missed nickel clock start and stuff like that. But just in general, their, their attack's been 
pretty, like we've said, disjointed. It's not fluid. You know, Whiten is struggling to get into space. He's not really impacting games much. Which is good, given he's not playing. <laughs> Very funny. But you know what I mean, in general. Yeah. What about Papa Lee? What do you think his impact will be on this game? I think it'll be great because he, they might make the Raiders pack a bit more mobile. I, I just think they've been struggling all year, despite being at full strength at times. And the Storm just... Yeah, too good. But they, they'll be way too good, the Storm. What do you reckon? Josh had a car hat-trick? Wouldn't surprise me, because he's attacking down the weak side. The Raiders' right edge is really bad. I actually think Addo Carr will get a hat-trick this game. So, Storm by... A lot. 20. Yeah. I think the Sunday games actually look really, really good. First up, it's South they versus do. the Panthers. They do, yes. Is Latrell back for Souths? Yes, he is back this so week. That'll make a big difference. That'll be a first test, but that'll be a big test for the Panthers this year. Panthers are thirty-seven favourites. Souths are $3.10 outsiders, and Souths have an eight-point start. Now, I think the Panthers might win this, but I think it'll be close. I think the Panthers will win because I just think they're, they are at full strength. They have no injuries. They're, they're in, like you say, like we spoke about last year, they're still enjoying their football. There's a little bit more arrogance and meanness this year. They're still enjoying throwing the football around and playing every week. So I think that'll keep their energy up enough to hold out the Rabbits. But if Latrell's back and if Latrell has... Hopefully use that time to train and sort of trim down a little bit more. Like Andrew Fafita did? Oh, God. Well, his article in the middle of the week was that he'd lost so much weight and Josh, Josh, John Morris treated him poorly as well. And he'd put in the effort to lose heaps of weight, but he looked like the same as he did. He certainly did. He looked bigger. And can I just say, didn't John Morris do the right thing by him by saying, I think you should retire? I don't know because we don't know what his true motive was. But if it was to actually really protect Andrew, then probably... But I don't really know what the context behind that comment was. It might have also been that I'm never going to pick you, so you probably should should retire. But the Rabbits, oh, you know, like you, I'm hoping for a good game. And Latrell Mitchell comes back, Cody Walker moves to back to um, five eight, and Benji to the bench. So, but I, I don't think they're good enough to beat the Panthers. I think that the top two have a clear split. I think Para's almost on their own, and then I think the Rabbitohs and the Roosters are kind of in their own little pack behind Para. So the Panthers too good for me. Yep. So we've got that same tip. All right. If you move on to the last game of the round, eleven, Ooh, it's the Eels okay. versus Manly. Who are you gonna pick, Manly or Para? Para's in the lead, but the gap's still narrow. If you remember the old ads. Yes, I do. The Eels Eels are a dollar fifty favourites. Manly's two dollars sixty outsiders, and Manly have five and a half points start. I think this will be a close game. I think it'll be a close game. I hope there's a big crowd, and I think there will be. Um, mainly with para fans because Eagles fans don't go anywhere. They don't even go to Brookvale, but um, <laughs> <laughs> they don't. As an Eels supporter, I'm going to pick the Eels. I'm not one of these dogs that 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 um, picks against <laughs> yeah, these okay. teams. Yes, low life scumbags that that pick against their teams. Calls himself a supporter and picks against his team. Do you know anyone like that, G? But if you, the Eels had a minus 20-point differential, you might be thinking, every, per game, you'd be thinking of it differently. Hey, T, I've been to every Bulldogs game for the last 20 years. Who are you picking? I'm picking the Titans by 50. Yeah, basically, that's it. I'm to, I, Honestly, I find this game very hard I to pick. I think it's hard to pick. I, I can see why you would. I think Para, like we've said before, they're the, they're the team waiting for any bad luck from the Panthers or the Storm, right? I think they're the third best team at their best. But last week, they switched off and yeah, then they went through the They played to their opponents, so it's not going to be a blowout. They're going to play to Manly's level. And Manly has been torching sides. So I think this is going to be a, a really good game. I'm actually going to tip the Seagulls because I actually think Parrot is not quite ready to meet a team that is going to 
how can I say to you, like challenge their defense with fast players everywhere? I don't think, I think they've had, they've had some brutal games, but I don't think they've quite had that for a few weeks. And I think they'll be a little bit underdone. Is you tipping the Seagulls something to do with your great love of... Tommy Turbo yes. and Jason Saab? Yeah, possibly. I don't think the Eels have an answer. If Saab and Trebojevic get going, I think you made a great point about Sivo sometimes kind of a little bit off with the fairies when he's defending at times. I think if you leave space now, the way the Seagulls are playing, Trebojevic and Saab will, will take advantage of it. But if Sivo's got to have a big game in defence, I think. If he is solid in defence and really sort of tightens up that that side of the field, I don't think the Seagulls will have anywhere to go. Because Harper's not the fastest guy in the world and Brad Parker and Garrick are, are solid and consistent. But if he can help nullify Saab and Trebojevic a little bit, then I, I don't think the Seagulls can beat them. But if he leaves in his space for, for Saab on the wing, the Seagulls, the way they're playing, will exploit that space. And I think they'll score quite a few tries around the Eels if that happens. But I, I'm looking forward to a good game. I actually, I think it'll be really close. I think the Seagulls might get them just because power will be underdone. But do I think it means much in the long run? No, because I think the Eels are a fantastic side. But Bank West, that's a bit of an upset, actually, Tim. It is, it is. I hope you're wrong. If you're right, you've heard it here first. If you're wrong, encourage people to tune in while I will be absolutely giving it to you. So, yeah, all right, course. that brings us to Come the... on, Tommy. Don't let me down, Mr. Turbo. Come on. That brings us to the end of another GNT show. Thank you. For listening, we'll see you again next week, and thanks for joining me again, G. Thank you very much, T. Appreciate the time. And Kyle Flanagan, head up, mate. Don't worry, Trent will get sacked soon, and you'll get another go. And and that'll make a difference. How? Not sure, but at least he might get picked. More hard hitting analysis to end the pot on. See you, G. Yeah. See you, boy. Well.